0: Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at a awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello humans, it's your host, Corey, and today we're going to talk about loneliness. Almost everyone has felt lonely at one point or another in their lives, and loneliness tends to spike around this time of year. So I just wanted to take a moment to talk about my thoughts on loneliness, my own experiences with loneliness, in hopes that maybe you would find a little bit of comfort or relatable experiences in me sharing that with you. So my first experiences with loneliness was as a child, of course, I was the only child from my parents, both with my mother, who didn't have any other kids, and from my father, he did have another daughter, but there was a pretty big gap in our ages. We are 11 years apart, so there was really only a little overlap when she was young, my sister was young, and her mother and my father were still together. But otherwise, when I was with my dad, I was alone, and when I was with my mom, I was alone, and they were both so... Involved in their own lives and their own drama. I didn't get a lot of attention, like most children crave. I did often feel overlooked or put on the back burner to bigger issues in their lives. I have distinct memories of evenings or moments when something was happening, like the time that my mom didn't remember to come to my recital. So I think it was third grade, and if you've listened to the Who Killed My Mother podcast, I already shared this story in that podcast. And it's hard to remember a lot of things that happened to you as a child, but this is one that stands out to me, and it was this night where we had learned a song in our class like our third grade class and we had practiced it and then that night the parents were supposed to come (laughs) see us perform it for everyone and so you know we're there late after school probably four or five in the evening six i can't remember exactly what time the show started but we stayed after school my mom was supposed to come see me she had you know dropped me off and said she would be there but when the concert ended she wasn't there And so not only could I not find her but all the other kids were taken home by their families and then it was just me at this recital in this cafeteria with my teacher and she had to call the police to come and get me and take me home. And when they got to the trailer that I was living in at the time with my mom and her partner, nobody was home, it was dark. And so now it's probably, I don't know, 8 or 9 at night and the police are looking for my mom and looking for anybody and they finally find, I call her Shay in the Who Killed My Mother podcast, that was my mother's partner at the time, they find her and they get her to leave work early. But it's already very late by then and the whole time, you know, everyone was so worried about like where my mom was that it was probably 10 or 11 at night before one of the officers was like, did you even eat dinner? No one had considered that maybe I hadn't eaten or that I, you know, might need something (laughs) uh, until that moment. And unfortunately, I have a lot of memories like that where just because something was going on, no one was really paying attention to my needs at that time and so i did you know often feel overlooked i did feel unimportant school was my sanctuary because it was very regimented you know you have classes at certain times you have meals at certain time and so i did really enjoy school i felt safe at school i had friends at school so the loneliness was abated but unfortunately that only lasted until my ninth grade year when i was outed as a lesbian (laughs) And it's somewhat of a funny story because basically what had happened was literally everything changed overnight for me. So one day I'm at school, nothing is weird, I've got my friends, everything is fine. And then that night I go to the carnival, the state fair carnival, with everyone else. And I meet this girl there and I kind of like her and we leave together. And it's not like an adult leaving the bar cleaned us, and, like we weren't doing anything there was no real pda or anything dramatic but because she was like the known lesbian in town which i didn't know because she went to a different school uh we weren't in the same like ecosystem so i didn't know that she was like a town pariah i just was like oh you know she's really pretty and i like her and so we left together and then we didn't go to school the next day because of my mom and some of her drama and so when I went to school the day after that everything had changed my best friend went and talked to me she like punched my locker and stormed off people were saying things to me in the hallway someone was like knocking my books out of my hand it was really dramatic like high school movie stuff and I just had no idea what was going on because no one explained to me what had happened It wasn't until much later that I figured out what everyone was freaking out about. I sort of lost the safe space that I had constructed for myself from my chaotic home life. My school was supposed to be my safe space and then suddenly it wasn't in ninth grade. Fortunately, when I went to school in 10th grade, it was a new school. Nobody really knew anything about me. They didn't really care. And so there was a couple bullying incidences, but it wasn't like specifically because someone hated me or something about me or some kind of reputation issue. It was just, you know, people being jerks. And then I moved again for my senior year. And so again, nobody knew anything about me, but it was still like a really hard year. And so situations like that, they created this sense of loneliness in me, this sense of separateness. And I don't know if it was because You know, I was a gay (laughs) in the Bible Belt in this really conservative small town in the South. I was just very aware of feeling different. I could feel lonely in a room full of people, as they say, and that feeling of loneliness, even when you're surrounded by people, carried over into my adulthood. And I tried to escape those feelings of loneliness by getting into relationships, by always having a girlfriend or a crush or someone to distract me. But then I would be really devastated when they would leave me for someone else or they would cheat on me because those instances would always reinforce these feelings, these stories that I had about myself that I was unlovable, that I was too different, that I was unworthy, I was unwanted, that I was never anybody's first choice, that... I was easy to overlook or to forget about, that there was just something too different about me, and I really struggled with trying to form meaningful connections to other people for a long time because of this loneliness that I carried inside of me. You would think that loneliness would, you know, make you want to reach out, make you want to connect with people, and maybe it is like that for others, but for me, it was really isolating. Loneliness made me want to pull away from people. It made me want to protect myself. It made me feel like I couldn't trust other people to like me or be nice to me or to want to be around me. But to my credit, once I realized that my (laughs) dating life was a hot mess and that these patterns that I was in with other people, the way that I would try to find someone to make me feel loved, to make me feel wanted, that it was a really dangerous cycle, that it was doing more to destroy my self-esteem than to heal it, basically being a hot mess when I realized I was a hot mess. <laughs> I did take a self-imposed vow of celibacy for several years. I moved away from Tennessee. I got away from all of my bad decision supply, <laughs> my circle of exes um, that were you know available and at the ready. I got away from them. I moved to Michigan and I was there for several years as a single person, super lonely, sexually frustrated, trying to sort out my issues with a lot of therapy by focusing on my writing about what I wanted to do with my career, with my time, trying to concentrate on my MFA and teaching and making friendships, making bonds with people that were not sexual in any way basically having friends or acquaintances, and and I was still pretty miserable even though I met some amazing people during this time of my life, people that I'm still really good friends with that I cherish deeply. It's just that they happened to meet me at a really miserable, difficult time of my life in which I was just not a very healthy, happy person. But as time went on, I worked on this stuff. I got a little bit of a sense of what I wanted in my friendships and my relationships. And I began to seek that in other people, those qualities in other people. But it takes a while to really first understand something in theory, knowing the kind of relationships I wanted in theory, and then second, in practice, right? That's a totally different game. Me learning how to actually be the kind of person I want to be in a relationship with another person. Those are like moving parts, right? <laughs> That's like actually running the machine at 50 miles an hour or whatever. It's a very different experience, a very different ball game, And so even into my marriage, there were a good four or five years after Kim and I had been dating, when we had been together for a long time, in which I was still demonstrating toxic moments in my interactions with her. Something would come up and I would get scared and I would push her away because part of me was still expecting her to, to leave me, to prove my narrative that I carried around for so long right that I was unlovable, I'm unworthy, I'm unwanted, that I'm easy to forget about, to leave behind, that there's still something too weird and wrong and different about me. So what did that look like? Which is like we would get into a fight about something and I felt like she was saying she didn't love me even though it wasn't that at all. It was probably just like, you know, you made me mad when you did something perfectly reasonable to be mad about. And I was like, you know my mind would just take off like a shot it would be thinking oh my gosh well how do you get a divorce attorney and how do you it would just have these really dramatic reactions to issues that weren't really issues because my instinct was to protect myself to run away to evade the person before they could hurt me so it took me a long time to learn how to stay even despite my fears So I have fears, you know, that someone's going to leave me. So it's hard to convince myself not to flight (laughs) of the fight and flight responses to not flight when something comes up that triggers that panic in me to sit there and listen to what she's saying. Okay, she's not saying she doesn't love me. She's not saying she wants to break up. She's just saying I triggered her by doing this or saying this or behaving in this way and that we could just be more mindful about how we do this you know, usually it's like complaining about her cleaning the kitchen or not cleaning the kitchen or something benign. And I'm like, oh, guess we got to get divorced now. (laughs) You know, it was just we were on totally different pages. And so it really required a lot of effort on my part to retrain me to stay, even though my instincts were like, oh, you better run now, you better protect yourself. You know, she's about to hurt you really bad and you love her so much. So it's going to be absolutely awful. So it took my poor wife many, many years of loving the hell out of me before I began to believe that maybe she would stick around. And somehow along the way, I became convinced that she actually loved me and our relationship began to even out, to become healthier. And so even in my mind, when I know 120% that she is my person, absolutely, she is my person. And yet I can still feel lonely because lonely is a lot of things. It is triggered by residual emotions. It's triggered by patterns, emotional patterns. It's old, unhealed wounds. And rarely does it have anything to do with whether or not you are actually alone. So you can still be in a marriage with a very loving, affectionate person and still feel lonely sometimes. So here are some things that I learned about loneliness over this epic, lifelong odyssey through my childhood, throughout my 20s and 30s and all the way up into my marriage. The first is that, Loneliness can be experienced whether you are single or you're partnered, whether you are alone or in a crowded room, because loneliness is a state of mind. Loneliness is not dependent on outside factors such as people or whether or not you're with someone or whether or not you're in a happy relationship or a sad relationship. It doesn't matter what's going on in your world. Loneliness is a reflection of what's going on in your mind. The second truth was that, like other states of mind, loneliness can become a habit. A random experience of loneliness is one thing. Chronic loneliness, that is a habit. And I want to be absolutely clear here. This is not a judgment. If you're hearing this as, well, you are lonely because it's your habit, that is not what I'm saying. 100 million percent, I understand that this is a habit because I had developed a loneliness habit myself. And just because you may have developed a loneliness habit, it does not mean that you've done something wrong. I developed my loneliness habit because I was neglected and overlooked and forgotten and rejected and abused and bullied as a child. I had so many real-life experiences that over and over again reinforced these feelings, these emotional pathways of loneliness. And so like every other human being on the planet, I reacted to those experiences by developing a worldview based on those experiences, by developing reactionary habits and habitual patterns based on those experiences. Those were not made-up experiences, and I did not do anything to deserve them. But from those experiences, I did develop a habit of loneliness because I came to expect this neglect, this overlooked, this forgotten, rejected, abused, treatment and I expected those experiences that I endured to go on forever and ever. So when I call loneliness a habit, I'm not blaming you for any kind of habit you have. I'm just saying it may be a natural reaction to the experiences that you've gone through. But the good news is like every other habit, it can be broken. That's the good news is that if you have a loneliness habit today, you can break that loneliness habit. You can work with a state of mind that is lonely. And why is loneliness such a problem anyway? Why even expend all this energy trying to get rid of it, to heal it, to make peace with it, apart from the fact that it sucks to feel lonely? Even in my most emo phase, probably 14, 15, 16, I'm writing bad poetry and wearing all black and spiky jewelry, and I look like a a walking ad for Hot Topic. Not even in that phase did I enjoy feeling lonely. So why address this habit of loneliness? Why even invest your time and energy in it? Well, unfortunately, now we have the data that shows loneliness causes heart problems, depression, high stress, memory problems, that it compounds your addiction risk, it changes our brains. So there are physiological repercussions of maintaining a loneliness mindset that just like unhealed addiction or trauma That unless we prioritize our healing, it will continue to interfere with our lives. It will become a chronic state of mind rather than just an occasional experience that everybody goes through. Everybody feels lonely, sometimes even healthy people. So what contributes to a lonely state of mind? What reinforces loneliness habits? For me, definitely abandonment issues. If you have abandonment issues that are unresolved, you might want to consider addressing them sooner rather than later. Definitely use professional help for this. Self-care does help with abandonment, definitely addresses some of those feelings of isolation at the root of loneliness, but really it's difficult to work through abandonment issues all alone. I needed a qualified cognitive behavioral therapist to help me address my abandonment issues to work through them. And so I don't recommend necessarily that anyone try to do that all by yourself if you're struggling with abandonment issues. If you can look at your personal history and say, oh yeah, these people popped in and out of my life, I'm absolutely struggling with abandonment, you might want to get professional help with processing those unresolved emotions. And that includes any issues around rejection as well because that is abandonment's ugly cousin, in my opinion, rejection. And I'm not just talking about romantic rejection bullying abuse anything that might have created a story within you that plays a loop in your head in the back of your mind whether you realize it or not that you are a bad person this is why people don't like you this is why you're wrong this is why you're too different any of those criticisms that we find at the heart of abandonment and rejection need to be looked at need to be addressed You might want to do shadow work for these issues. I do have an episode on shadow work if you want to go check that out. You might want to look at the shadow of your abandonment, of your rejection history. Also, not knowing your origin story or knowing your story but looking at it without self-compassion can compound these feelings of isolation, of loneliness. When I say origin story, I'm talking about doing some sort of personal review like I did at the beginning of this episode, in which you look at your life, you tweeze apart and identify those pain points for yourself. When did you feel unlovable? What memories do you have where you remember feeling different, where you remember feeling unwanted or overlooked or unimportant or neglected? Make a list of every moment from your life and journal about those moments, trying to remember it in as much detail as you can. Get clear in your head What's going on so that the next time you start to feel lonely, you can see yourself more clearly and you can understand what's happening with you and feel more sympathy for yourself, more compassion for yourself about what you've been through and what you've dealt with so that you don't just look at yourself and be like, gosh, I shouldn't be lonely. I have no reason to be lonely. Instead of beating yourself up, learning to do a bit more of this self-compassion. And if the concept of self-compassion is blowing your mind, which it absolutely blew my mind the first time I heard about it, there are a lot of workbooks on the internet for this. You can do a whole self-compassion program and learn how to look at yourself with a more loving and understanding lens and to be less critical of yourself. And I don't know a person on this planet who could not use a little less self-criticism. I'm right there with you. I should be doing more self-compassion work as well. So that might also be something you want to look at to help address some of these underlying causes of a lonely state of mind. And then also you might want to try to identify any toxic patterns you have, such as self-protection. So like I mentioned earlier, Kim had to really work hard to get me to let her in through a good half of our partnership because of my bullshit. You would have thought that I worked through all of my issues through my self-imposed celibacy, all those years of therapy, all that self-work, compassion notebooks, for example. And while it's true that I did manage to untangle quite a bit of my mess during that time before I met her, it wasn't like everything was tidied up neatly with a bow. That time out did help me get clear on what I was looking for in a partner, on what I wanted in my life, but I still had to figure out how to be with someone. Because again, toxic patterns are based on erroneous beliefs, they're habits, they're things that we do, people trigger them in us. So even if we intellectually understand, I don't want to be like that anymore, I'm not going to do those things, it's different when you're actually working with another person. And so it took her and I many, many years to find equilibrium in that way. So if you're thinking things like, everyone is a taker, I'm only going to get used or brokenhearted, if I open myself up, it's not worth it, no one likes me. These are very fatalistic, all-or-nothing statements that come with a loneliness mindset, and getting rid of that stuff is going to help you. That voice is just a naysayer on the back of your mind, and you do not need it. If we were on a life raft out at sea, trying to figure out how to get to shore, and there was a person in the boat who was just complaining the whole time, doom and gloom, talking about the shark circling, refused to paddle, we would hate this person, (laughs) (laughs) We would like want to pitch this person overboard into the ocean and go on without them So it's funny to me that when that person is the voice in the back of our heads We hang on to their every word like it's gospel like it's real like we should believe them or invest in their opinion Watch out for that. That's really dangerous that critic in the back of the mind That inner critic is what is compounding your feeling of loneliness what's keeping your feeling of loneliness alive stirring those feelings of isolation and unworthiness. So I really encourage you to do some of these journaling exercises where you review your lonely experiences, whatever you can remember. And as you're writing out how you feel, what you remember, look for sentences that jump out at you like, something is wrong with me, no one likes me, I'm not worth it because, anything like that. Those are your clues to maybe stories you're telling yourself even to this day in the back of your mind around these experiences. So if you're like me and you have these toxic patterns that come from a place of self-protection, you're just going to have to learn how to break those patterns to identify those fatalistic statements and crush them, even when you're by yourself, to just talk back to it. And there's absolutely no shame if you get professional help with that. But then also being patient with yourself when you try to work through these issues with other people in your relationships If something comes up and you're triggered and you react poorly, don't beat yourself up. It's not the end of the world. Strong, loving relationships will survive you making mistakes, I promise. So don't give up on them, don't give up on yourself. And rely on these other people to help you learn more about where you get stuck and what you're struggling with because sometimes we're just too close to our own issues to see the forest for the trees, as they say. So if you need help, get help. And if you have a friend or a partner or someone and you know, shit gets real and you're fighting and suddenly you're just thinking about how am I going to hire a divorce attorney? You know, sometimes in those moments, it helps to be really honest. Just be like, I'm really triggered by this. I feel like our relationship is over. Maybe you are that's what you're telling me. I had to have many conversations with Kim in which I was like, this is what I'm feeling right now. Is this true? And she would be like, oh my god, no, I am not saying we should get divorced. What are you talking about? She was just in a very different place. So Sometimes a bit of honesty will really help you connect to people. It will really help you to recalibrate that viewpoint you have of the world that's no longer serving you and help you see something more realistic, more loving to turn you in the direction that you're trying to get to. So the only major takeaway I really want to drill home here for you is that loneliness is a state of mind. It is a learned behavior and if you learned it, you can absolutely 120% unlearn it. So please, please, please invest in yourself in that way and start addressing it so we don't see any of these health issues or quality of life issues cropping up and robbing you of your joy because you, whoever you are, I am absolutely sure that you're deserving of love and connection and peace of mind. So please don't give up on yourself. And here we are at the end of the episode. And as always, I really hope you found something useful in our time together today. Maybe some new ideas on how to work with your loneliness the next time it shows up. And in the meantime, please rest assured that I will be back next week for another episode of A Well-Cared-For-Human. And until then, please take good care of you. This episode of A Well-Cared-For-Human was written and produced by me, Cory Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.